So we're going to continue this morning in the scriptures, and we're in our second week in the series, series called The Gospel at Work. Um, this four-week series is built on a, a book that I actually picked up during a conference. So I, I didn't even actually, this one of those deals where they gave you the book. Um, and I usually, they're stacked up in my office. You might come and see me and you go, oh, you got so many books here. But they're like to my, in my to-read pile. But this is one I actually picked up and read. And I was really blown away by um, the material found there. And, and so we've been doing this four-week series. This is week two of The Gospel at Work. But I wanted to ask a question as we get started this morning. And it's this. So last week was our first week, and especially those who are in family groups, how was your week at work this week? I mean, I mean, did thinking about the gospel and your job, your profession, or what you do, or maybe what you don't do, did it have any effect on you this week? Did it challenge you? Did it change you? Did it maybe give you new eyes, new, a new thought pattern to, to live into? I don't know if it did for you. It did for me. It did. I love that. I love that when we look at the Word of God and we look at our lives and we start to try to reconcile those things, God challenges us through His Holy Spirit um, to be changed, to be transformed. And that's one of the things you're going to find at Family Bible Church or, or anywhere that you go there preaching the gospel is that change is required. Um, many times we say we want to come as we are and stay as we've been. and That's just not what the gospel does. That's not the way Jesus' followers are made seems that we come as we are, but we become who he's calling us to be. And that's true for all of our lives. And so each of us um, are part of that journey. I hope that you were challenged this week, and I hope that as you continue to study this scripture with us, uh, you might continue to be challenged this morning. Today, I want to talk about two major pitfalls that we all struggle with at work. We all will struggle with these two major pitfalls at work. And they're both preeminently shown in scripture as struggles that we have, what we're going to spend some time talking about today. And at the end of the day today, I'm going to challenge you to consider which of these two you struggle with the most, okay? Before we continue this morning studying the Word of God, I'm going to invite you to pray with me like we always do, that He would give us wisdom, insight, and understanding. Uh, pray with me if you would. Father, we have been so blessed to be with you today. We've been so blessed to sing praises of who you are and to join, as we said that already today, all creation in singing praise to you and proclaiming how good you are to all, all of your creatures and all that you've made. And yet we also cry out to you in the way that all creation groans for salvation and restoration and hope and a future and a way forward that you've planned for us. Today, as we've come into this place, no matter where we've come from or what's been going on in our lives, I pray that we would just set that all aside right now and being fully trusting in your Holy Spirit's power, being fully trusting, even if we don't know you yet as Savior, to listen to you and find the instruction you would have for us in this life. Would you teach us as we seek your face? Would you give us wisdom and insight as we open your word? And would your Holy Spirit do the miraculous work that only he can do by working on us from the inside out, that we would be radically changed for your glory. May that be our gospel proclamation to the world, that we met Jesus and we've never been the same. You are awesome and we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word and the way that it manifests in so many good and powerful ways in our life. We give you this prayer and hope today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start this morning where we ended last week. 
I told you this is kind of the core text for the four weeks we're studying this, this book, and it's this idea that we, and when I say we, I mean believers or Christians, serve Jesus. This is the idea, really, that underlines or undergirds all of this teaching, is that we ought to have eyes to see that in everything we do, we serve Jesus, our Lord, our King, and our Savior in every way. And the scripture that we have to remind us of this, we have two. One is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 and 7, and the other is from Colossians. And I actually want to focus on Colossians this morning and share it with you again. And we shared it last week as well. But this is the key this morning I want you to focus on. Whatever you do, then, work at it with all of your heart. Paul's writing to the, to the church, right? And he says, work at it with all of your heart as though you're working for the Lord, not for men, since that you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. That principle is the same in Ephesians and Colossians. Work as though you're not serving men, but serving God, right? That becomes the overarching instruction here. No matter where you find yourself or how you spend your days or who you're working for, don't serve as though you are serving men alone. Now, for most of you, you certainly are serving a person, a man, a woman, an organization, a company, a friends, family, someone you're working for. But Paul's admonition is not to continue to work as if that's the only person you're serving, but as unto the Lord. And then Colossians has this powerful sentence here at the end where it says, it is the Lord Christ who you are serving. That is the truth of, of what you're doing in your work. And again, this is very broad. I want, I want to kind of unpack that for a minute and think about your actual life and where you spend it. You might say, well, I don't have a job, right? I'm, I'm not employed right now. But do you have things that God's given you to do? What is it? Maybe, and I don't know what it is, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. When, when you stay at home with your children, do you serve them as though you're serving the Lord? Do you believe that if you are faithful in your service, you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward? That's what the scriptures say. Or, or maybe stay-at-home dad. Same thing, right? I'm not going to be sexist about this. It's the same. Or, or maybe you're, you're self-employed. Do you believe when you're serving your clients... Do you think you're serving the Lord? Something that struck me this week, another passage of Scripture, and we're actually going to kind of end up at this place today, um, is there's this text where Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, when did we see you? And I will say, every time you've seen the least of these, you saw me. That's like we serve the Lord. We really, really do, very practically. Maybe you say, well, I don't have a job, not because I'm unemployed, because I'm a student. I don't have to work yet. I'm just a student. Do you believe that being diligent in your studies by, by applying all of the mental and, and uh, physical and uh, all the heart and the passion that you have, do you believe that by sitting there, you're not just pleasing your professor or pleasing your parents who are paying for education or sending you to public school, you know, God help you, I'm, I'm just kidding, <laughs> you know, but if they're trusting you to our public schools whom we love so much and pray for so much, do you believe that by being diligent in that work, you're not just pleasing grandma and grandpa are pleasing your parents or pleasing your peers or pleasing your teachers, the administration, but that you actually, through faithfulness in your work, are serving the Lord. Like, that's what this is about. It's about connecting everything that we do, everything that we do, 
directly to Jesus. Other things, there's, there's so many. If you're a boss, if you're an employee, do you believe it? If you have a terrible boss or a great boss, do you believe it? If there's people that you love to serve, people that you hate to serve, do you believe it? That by being faithful, you're actually serving Jesus. Paul makes that radical claim here. Not only are you serving him, get this, but he sees what we do. And he will reward us for what? Our faithful service. If no one else does, do you get that? Like if there's never a pay increase, if there's never a promotion, if you get fired anyway, Jesus is pleased because you've been faithful. He'll say, what did you give? And you'll say, Lord, I gave everything I had for you, for your glory. Man, we're going to talk later about the words we want to hear from him in that day when that day of reckoning comes for us. So that's the truth. The overarching principle is that we serve Jesus. Don't forget that. This three weeks, we're gonna, four, three more weeks, we're going to be in this material, right? So today we're going to talk about two major failures. And if you grabbed an engagement sheet this morning, I hope that you grabbed one. Um, they're kind of on the front, so it gives away. And on the back side, there's the scripture verse we're going to be studying. You can see fill in the blanks in the back in the scripture we're going to be studying. So the first um, text we're going to look at is actually in, the, in the, the Gospel of Luke. But here's the first failure, and it's this idolatry. Now, you might go, well, what does idolatry have to do with work? But for many people, work can become an idol. We, we serve at, at you know, the, the throne of, of the job. Um, we, we use that as an excuse to make everything else seem less important than our work. I know I have to do fill in the blank, but I have to work, and it comes before any, anything else. And the first principle that I want to share with you, and we're going to get into the scripture, is this, that work is a terrible God. Work is a terrible God. If that's all that you're serving, if that's all that you know, and now I'm going to encourage you to open a Bible. If you didn't bring one, grab one of ours. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. If you're using one of our Bibles on the end of the chair rows, it's going to be on page 732. We're going to study the scripture together today. You may have heard this before, and we're going to share it again this morning. And this is actually included in all three synoptic gospels, so it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? So you can look this up in any of those three places, but this morning we're going to study from Luke, so you might return there. And I'm going to share this with you this morning. This is what the word says. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied this way, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. And the man replied, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you own and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for the, eye, the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this said, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied this way, what is impossible with men is possible with God. 
Peter replied like this, well, we've left everything that we have to follow you. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Now, you might immediately think, well, how is this about work? But you see, this guy who showed up to meet Jesus, this guy is a guy who's getting things done. Make no mistake about it. Look at verse 21, right? He says, all these things I have kept. I've done all of those things. Everything I could have done my whole life, I've been learning and growing and following and believing and serving. You see, you, you can hear it in the conversation. When he comes to Jesus, he comes as a person who has his own power, his own authority, his own wisdom, his knowledge, his experience. This would be the guy that would walk in and had owned the place, you know what I mean? He would walk in and the room would change. He, would, he brought a presence with him when he met Jesus. And, and, and it's interesting, by the way, he starts with this idea of good teacher, and Jesus challenges it. How do you possibly know if I'm good? How can, how, how, what about you thinks you know the difference between right, wrong, good, bad, right? But he comes seeking Jesus' wisdom and insight, and he says, good teacher. And, and then, so this guy is getting things done. Don't miss it. This is what, he's a, he's a mover and a shaker, you know. I don't know how old this guy is, but can you imagine meeting Jesus and him saying, do you remember the commands? And you go, yeah, I know the commands. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't cheat. And, and then what's the next words out of your mouth or my mouth? You know what, my, and I broke all of those things. <laughs> I, I, I've I've failed in every possible way. That's a different position. This guy's like, I've done all that. And I can do more. What must, look at the question he asked. What more must I do to be saved? This guy's looking for a list. Show me. This is, matter of fact, I will say this also. This guy is one of those guys um, who is never satisfied. The job's never done. You know, he's going to work harder, longer, smarter, learn, change, grow. Because he says, when he first meets Jesus, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As a matter of fact, um, he knew despite all that he had, he still lacked something. In the Gospel of Matthew, and you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, he actually said that. I've done all of those things, Jesus, so what do I lack? He do. I lack something. I'm not fulfilled. How many, oh, and there's, okay, so here's two ways we can look at this idea of idolatry of work. Uh, the one is the person who's doing it. They're the workaholic. They're never stopped. They're always there. They're the mover and the shaker. You know what I mean? They're, they're making it happen. They're fully in, engaged in the power that they feel they have in this world. And, and, and they're coming an idol for them, an, an idol in their life, the job, above all else. But don't we kind of have the same thing in a way when we look at those people and we go, man, they got it together. They, they don't lack anything. I remember whenever I worked in the healthcare field, the people that I saw that way were most of the doctors. I mean, because if you're going to create like a hierarchy of people who got their stuff together, you would think in a hospital environment, the doctors would have most of their stuff together. 
But I also had this weird thing where I was in the role of support, and I saw that they didn't have their stuff together. So then how do I figure that out? And I'm like, well, you know, they don't, but the best doctors do. Because we believe the lie, the idolatry, that there's someone who is fully satisfied in their work. That it completes them. That they think about the things we watch or the celebrities we, we celebrate. Man, their greatest passions have met the world's greatest needs. And we believe the lie, the idol, that they're fulfilled completely in their work. But this guy says... What do I still lack? The interesting thing is, if you believe any of the studies that have been done, or if you sit and talk to any of those people who have achieved it all, there's still some sense they don't have it. They're unfulfilled. They're unsatisfied. That's because our work is a terrible God. Our work is a terrible God. Now, if you, if you think, man, well, why are you saying all that stuff, right? Look at what happens. When Jesus tells him what he must do is give away what he has, the things that he has possession of, the things that he claims to be righteousness, the things that, so and just take those things and just give them away to people who don't have things right now, and then turn around and start following me, and you will have, what, eternal life. You're going to have the thing you want the most. What do I lack, the guy says. Just give everything away and follow me. This guy, he just goes, fine, man, I don't care about any of this stuff. And he takes off the robe he wore in there, and, you know, he throws off his gold rings, and he gets off of his Lexus camel or whatever he was riding, you know what I mean? And he just goes, I'm with you, Jesus, let's get out of here. Right? No. The dude goes, and he rides off on his stupid camel or whatever. He says, No. The rings mean more. The job means more. Or my own righteousness means more. Or fill in the blank means more than the one thing I've asked you to give me. What the word actually says is this. He went away sad. Sad. That's amazing to me. This guy who has it all goes away sad. And I think there's a couple reasons for this. The first is because at some deep level, he knows that by turning away from Jesus, he's missing it. But that's because I'm a follower of Jesus, and I believe that's where you miss it. I think he's also sad because he's going to turn back to that list of all the things he's got to get right, of those next things he has to do, of the other things that he still needs to find eternal life. It's a sad, sad state, and work is a terrible God, and he's going right back to the slave master. Turns away, and he's sad. You know what else is crazy? And I, I can't say enough. If you don't study Scripture for yourself, um, we are without excuse in this day and age. And I know I'm going to sound like, you know, but, I mean... It, Everything is at our fingertips. If you really want to know what Scripture says, and you, you, it's all out there. And I was amazed to find something that in, in some of the narratives, in some of the um, text fragments of, of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, it actually says this as well, that when Jesus saw his response, he was sad. 
Jesus was sad. Now, your Bible probably don't say that because it was on some of the things. I'm not, but I, do you believe that that's true? Some translations will say this. When Jesus saw the sadness of the man, he turned to his disciples. But do you think, don't you believe that when Jesus gave this guy the answer and that guy turned around and left, Jesus is like, ah. Oh. How hard is it for the rich to be saved? How hard is it? And, and, you, and you might say, well, Bill, here's the good news, man. I'm not rich, so I'm going to be easy. <laughs> Leave all you have, yep. I'm not, I ain't got much anyway. That's, but you know how it is, right? It ain't true. Because, you know, we have this tendency to idolize our work, and that little bit that we have, we hold on to. Oh, I just got to hang on to this. It might just be the part-time job at the fast food joint, but it's all I got. You know what I mean? And we don't believe that God is sovereign. And we don't believe that, that he has a better plan for us. And there's no difference between us in that first job and the CEO that's been doing it 20 years and finally made it to the top. You know what I mean? If you have, that's an idolatry of our heart to not let go and trust Jesus. Opportunities abound in the kingdom of God. Here's the other thing. If you serve the terrible God of work, in the end, you will ultimately and completely miss your truest potential. The gospel of Matthew calls it your full maturity in Christ. In the gospel of Matthew, he says, if you want, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, give all that you have away and follow me. Just quit hanging on to it. Quit claiming it's your righteousness. Quit claiming it's your achievement. It's a right position. It's a right position, right? Um, we, we forfeit the opportunity uh, to mature and grow if we cling to work as our God. Here, here's the last concept. I want, and then we're going to turn the, turn the page a little bit here. Um, the bottom line is this. Work isn't worthy of worship. Your job isn't worthy of worship. It's insatiable, and you know it and I know it. It will always ask for no more, and it will never give anything back. And, and in the end, it's insatiable. There's no, there's, if you talk to the, the top leaders in the world, they'll say, there's just one more thing I want to do. It never ends. And it's not worthy of our worship. And it's not worthy, as we joined together today in all creation singing praise, it's not worthy of praise in that way. For an illustration for this, I would say this is the equivalent of the guy who has the bumper sticker on his car, or the girl has a bumper sticker on his car, says, Jesus is my co-pilot. <laughs> you know what I mean? On the back of the Lambo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Get in, Jesus. Let me show you what I can do. You know what I mean? It, you know, there's this idea we have, like, isn't Jesus lucky to have us? You know what I'm saying? Some of you believe that. Don't you, you think you're like, man, I'm so cool, so hip, so rad, so awesome, so rich, so wealthy, so powerful, so smart? Is, have I got any of all of you yet? I mean, right? I have that thing. I, Jesus, get in. We're going to do something cool. And, you know, I've, I love that sticker that says you're in the wrong seat if Jesus is your co-pilot. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's the, that's the idea here. He's our co-pilot. We're going to check in once in a while. I got big plans, God. You know, I'll let you know how it comes out. <laughs> I'll come running to you when it doesn't go well. I'll forget you when it does. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the model. Jesus is the co-pilot. All right. 
Here's the second thing then. So that's one end of the spectrum, which is idolatry. We could fall off that end of it. But the other end is this, that um, we can be flat lazy, just completely lazy. And, and the truth is, is that laziness is disrespectful. So we're going to set these two things up as failures on each end of the work life that we have with Jesus. If we're believing in Jesus, we shouldn't fall into idolatry, and we shouldn't fall into laziness or idleness is what we're going to actually study. If you grabbed an engagement sheet, you know where we're at. We're going to be going to Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. And I'm going to read this the same way, and we're going to talk through this passage as well. It's just as powerful, so don't, you know, it's, we can't, I'm off the hook, man. I don't worship my job, but listen, are we doing these things? Verse 6 in chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked hard day and night, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to receive such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Verse 10, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear and that some among you are idle. They are not busy, but they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. As for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of him and do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Verse 15, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So if, if idolatry is all that we're going to do, what more can we do, and how, how will we control this you know, relationship with Jesus, this, this, how, how do we do that? Um, idleness is the other side of it. It's to say, hey, man, Jesus got it all figured out. I don't have to think or worry about it at all. I don't have to do anything. I can just hang out. I can just um, sit around and wait, right? I mean, how many people do you think are sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back? How many people, that's the entirety of their prayer life. Oh, Lord, just come quickly. Hurry up. Like, as if he's not sovereign over us being here right now. As if he hasn't given us something to do while he's gone. You'll see here that the truth is that when we're, and I said laziness is disrespectful. We're going to explain why. I'm not just making this stuff up. This is from Scripture, right? It's disrespectful. But I want you to see in verse 6, that laziness is neglecting, or if we choose to be lazy, I want to be very clear, if we choose to be lazy, we are neglecting our God-given capabilities, right? We're neglecting them, and you see it in verse 6. We command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us, or the model, or the tradition, Paul calls it, that you receive from us. Don't, don't hang out with those guys. Don't do that stuff. God, God has given us an ability, a capability to do more. And if we're choosing to be lazy, we're neglecting our God-given capability. Um, I want to spend just a second now, 
unpacking this idea of idleness. Because you might go, well, Bill, this is idleness, not laziness. And you'd be right. Okay. So the best, using these tools that are all available to all of you, you can look it up yourself. The best understanding I can come to of idleness is this. Not being willing to find your spot in the kingdom of God. Not being willing to look for the place that God's called you to serve. And it seems by implication that there's no place that, that someone isn't called to serve or no person who's not called to serve in some place. It just doesn't exist. So the idea of idleness is, it's not just mean like, doo, doo, doo. it kind of means that too, you know, twiddling your thumb, sitting around, doing nothing, waiting for somebody else to take care of your problems. But it means you're neglecting the spot that God has designed for you to serve in. He's created you to serve there. And, and I, why do I get passionate about that? Because it takes away every stinking, stupid argument we make about why we can't fulfill God's call in our life. And I'm not saying that to be mean to you. Like, I feel that. Well, Lord, I'd love to do it, but these are the things I lack. <laughs> you know, am I asking you to do this? You know, we, we look at the, well, I can't do what that guy's doing. That's not what he's asking us to do. I can't do what that lady's doing. He ain't asking. He's asking you to do what you are gifted to do, as only you can do it. And idleness means to ignore that opportunity that God has given us. Indeed, that capability to be unwilling, here's the way I would say it succinctly, to find our place and our purpose in God's plan. You'll see that in verse 6, right? Uh, a brother who is idle. And you'll see it in verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle. So Paul says, this isn't theoretical only, like we watch out for idle people, but you don't have any. He's like, and we have heard there are some idle people among you. And I wonder, as we're here today, are there idle people among us? Are there brothers and sisters here today that are idle? It's just as much of a failure as worshiping our jobs. All right. Look at, let's walk through here now. Um, in verse 8, we were not idle, it was verse 7, B, and then 8. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. Look at, on the contrary, we worked night and day laboring and toiling so that, you, that we would not be a burden to any of you. <laughs> Do you believe that by twiddling your thumbs or me twiddling my thumbs, we became a burden to those around us? I know some of you believe that. Because I've had conversations, and you get frustrated with people who don't pull their own weight, who don't make a contribution, who don't do something that they are capable of doing. It's very frustrating to, to see a gifted person who, who is not willing to live into their giftedness. And I don't mean extraordinarily gifted. I mean ordinarily gifted. We're all ordinarily gifted, right? We shouldn't hold some people up. Oh, look, that's how, no. You have gifts given by God. So by choosing to be lazy or idle, we are choosing, and don't miss this this morning, we are choosing to burden others with ourselves and our problems and our situations. We choose to be a burden by not living into what God has for us. All right? Verse 12 such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. 
right? Um, we are, if we choose to be idle, and it is a choice, we are choosing to not uh, live into God's opportunities for us. See, Paul never says they don't have a chance to eat. He never says it. And, and this isn't a scripture that only comes from the Apostle Paul, and this is a Pauline teaching, right? Jesus has these, I, I was just telling a friend of mine, um, whenever uh, Jesus was at the gate called Beautiful, and he saw the guy laying by the pool for 38 years. He was laying by the pool that could heal him for 38 years. And when Jesus says, do you want to be healed, the guy complains, well, every time I get ready to get in, somebody's in my way. Man, and, and you can read that passage, but, you know, Jesus' question is poignant. Do you want to be well? Do you, do you want to eat? Do you want to walk? Do you want to dance? Because it seems if you've been laying there for 38 years, you probably don't want to. And that's time for some soul search. Am I, am I really putting all of my, you know, God-given effort into this? That's a hard conversation to have. And it's a, it's, a, it's a really hard conversation to have to the one who made you. You see, here's the thing, because we are pretty good at convincing one another why we can't do something, but we have a pretty hard time convincing God. You hear me? It might work here for a while, but eventually the one who made us will be sitting across from us and talking to us about opportunities that he had for us to live into that we rejected. Why didn't you get up and serve so you would have bread. And I'm just afraid, brothers and sisters, that all of our excuses are going to just be weak and lame in his um, truth in that moment. All right? Look at verse 13. Not only if we choose to be idle, are we at risk, but look what he says. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. I thought, now that's a strange thing to say in there, isn't it? After Paul's talking about idleness, and he's writing to the church, and he's like, hey, don't hang out with people who are idle. And don't do that. He says this in 13, never tire in doing what is right. Why would Paul feel the need to, to you know, um, encourage people to not give up doing good? And I would say it's because idleness breeds idleness. And, and that's what I was talking about earlier. When, does your idleness affect others around you? Absolutely. Because if you or I are idle, then people around us were like, well, he ain't doing it. Have you ever been in that room? You know, where there's a problem needs to be fixed and everyone sees the problem needs to be fixed and we all could probably fix it together, but that guy's not doing it and she's not doing it. So why am I going to do it? We have this conversation all over, man, and I can get into all kind of crazy things. Think about, like, our taxes are coming due, right? And everybody's dealing with taxes right now. And one of the big reasons we make for not, you know, doing ours right is no one else does it right. Why should we do it right? No one else is going to pick up that thing at work, and no one else is going to serve that way. No, no one else. Why should I? Look at my boss. He's the laziest guy I know. Why should I serve like that? And Paul says, no, never. When, you know, if you see it, don't be part of it. Man, I got to tell you, I get so, this is, the kingdom of God is so beautiful and the people of God are so beautiful to me because they constantly set forth an example to follow. And that's, that's the next idea, that our idleness puts others at risk of idleness or our laziness puts others at risk for laziness, but we should never model such behavior. In verses 6 through 9, it said very clearly, and I won't read it again, but Paul says it. We set forth a model for you when we were with you. Man, when I read Paul's words, I get convicted. Because, like, Paul set forth this model of, like, I didn't even ask for what I was owed. 
I served above and beyond. I brought everything I had to the show because I wanted you to understand it's about the gospel and not about a job or an opportunity or, 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 or getting some bread without earning my bread. He says, no, man, we, we worked our rear ends off when we were with you. We worked hard. And we never modeled it. It's actually in the in verse 9. We did this not because we had no right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. So there's no excuse to be idle or lazy. So then this gets really crazy now, okay? So after he says all that, then he says in verse 14, if anyone does not obey these instructions in this letter, take a special note of that person. I'm like, what does that mean? Take a note. It means like, take notice of it. Each one of you. It doesn't mean like Markham and say, okay, all the lazy people sit in the corner over there so we can stare at you. You know what I mean? That's not what he's saying. He's not like, have a special, you know, determination for lazy people only. He's sitting, no, stand over here, don't go, you know, whatever. No. He's saying, each one of you look around the brothers and sisters you're serving with, and if you see someone who's idle, don't mix with them. Don't take part in the idleness. Choose to surround yourself with those who are using all of their gifts. Choose to, and you know what happens? It's kind of funny, but just like idleness wears off, boldness and passion and work um, ethic wears off too. And, and serving as unto the Lord wears off. And we say, man, I will go with that. I'm gonna, I want to be around those kind of people. And you go, man, that's cruel. How could we single people out like that? Withholding interaction, why? And this is, gets to the whole point of this right here in order that they might be ashamed. What's the scripture saying? Look at that, 15 or 14. In order that they, he or she might feel ashamed. I thought, well, wow, what are we in the shaming culture now? But the word actually means respect. Here's a funny fact for you. That same word is trans, translated as respect all but two times in scripture. Two times it comes out of shame. All the other ones is respect. Why? So this person might begin to understand that they have been given gifts, that they do have capabilities, and that they are to use all they have as though they're serving the Lord. To stop making excuses and to get up and do something. And each one of us are responsible. I don't know which side you struggle most with. Worshiping your work or saying, I've done enough. Nobody else is doing it. I'm not going to serve above and beyond. Why would I? Why should I? I bet you, if you're here this morning, you struggle with one of those two things. You see, the truth is that Paul's hope, he even says in 15, don't regard them as an enemy, but as, warn them as a brother. This isn't good for you. This isn't about not having you hang out with us or not having you, you're not good enough. No, no, you're better than this. Huh? That's what he's saying. You're a follower of Jesus. You have the king's blood in you. You can do more. You can be more. Don't settle. Don't settle for this. Um, have a proper respect for God and all that he's given you. Man, that's beautiful. I would say if there's a, an illustration on people who would be on that side, so the other person was Jesus is the co-pilot, I would say this is, I'm in the passenger seat and it's on cruise control. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like this. You're like, I punched my Jesus card. I'm in the car. I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to sleep until we get there. <laughs> you know? Somebody else will drive. Someone else is responsible. I don't have to worry about it. I'll just take a nap. I told you those are the two failures. Here's the better way. I want to close with this. Jesus offers us something more in our work than idolatry or idleness. He offers us a better way 
forward. I want to share with you um, from the Gospel of Matthew, and you do not have to turn there because we're not going to really look at this text. I would encourage you, if you want to, you can at any point look at this text for yourselves. It's in Matthew 25, and um, it's called, it, it, the header is a parable of the talents, and sometimes now it's called the parable of the golden bag, or the gold bags, you know. But it's this idea, and here it is in a nutshell. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a manager who went away. And before he went away, he gave all of his servants gifts. And if you read the text, everyone got a gift from Jesus. No one that knows Jesus, who belongs to Jesus, who is heading for the kingdom, didn't receive a gift. No one. There's not one. It doesn't say it. There's, it doesn't say it. Each person is given a gift. And these are gifts and talents we did not earn. We didn't achieve them. But he just gave them to us on his way. Hey, these things are for your care. And then we realize that these are things we're to use and to live into. Verse 19 says, A long time later, the master came to those servants and returned to settle accounts. And I talked to you about that a minute ago. That there will come a day, and I believe this, and if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't say it this morning, but there will come a day where we're going to sit across the table from Jesus or at his feet or however your analogy is going to work, and we're going to look at him, and he's going to say, Did you utilize all that I gave you? Did you? And this parable takes everything out because you go, well, he got more. That's all right. Ain't what I'm asking about. I'm asking about you. It says some got more than others, right? Did you use everything that I gave you? There's a day of accounting that's coming. And then here's the, the point of it, okay? And I want you to see this. But in, in Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23, here are the words that come back from the faithful servant. Oh, listen to the word. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. It means that we, we, we always recognize his sovereignty. We always recognize that he's God and we're not, and that we continue to follow him and believe that he had a kingdom you know, uh, orientation for us, that we would end up where he is. And here he is back, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with what you were given. Now you'll be given more. That's what Jesus says. And then he says, listen, this is where you can't miss it. 26, to the one who did nothing with his gifts. It says he buried him in a hole, right? Because he was afraid of this day of reckoning. He says these words, you wicked and lazy servant. Do you see the connection? Good and faithful are wicked and lazy. What are we going to do with what God's given us? I'm coming this morning because I want you to understand that that is a real risk we run, a real chance we take in following Jesus and not being fully submitted to him in our work, whether that is um, because we are you know, holding as an idol or we're being lazy in what we're doing. The bottom line is this, we serve Jesus, and that's just the truth of it, okay? So, here's the question. A couple questions as we close. How hard would you work this week? And I don't just mean like effort. I mean thoroughness. I mean totality of your, of your energy, and whatever it is, in your parenting, in your job, in your life. How many resources would you bring to bear if you recognize you are serving Jesus this week? How hard would you work? 
And then the second question is this. How would you view your job or your career or your calling differently if you recognize that truly your job, your career, and even your calling is temporary, but Jesus' lordship is eternal? How would your week be different this week? How would you behave differently in recognizing that? I gave you the two analogies of the um, Jesus is my co-pilot, or I'm asleep at, and Jesus is, I'm on cruise control, right? And I'm going to throw out this broken analogy, but I've kind of been thinking about it all week, and it's like this. How many of you got a chance to drive on your dad's lap? Any of you? Yeah, a few of you. How many of you put your kids on your lap and let them drive before they're way too young to drive? That's right. Good for you. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's parenting 101 right there. Well, what is that? When you're sitting on dad's lap in that car, man, are you driving it? Oh, yeah. You know, there's the ditch. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> For us, it was, get down, there's the cops. <laughs> you know? Uh, are you in control ultimately? No. Dad's got the gas and the brake. He'll grab the wheel if something goes wrong. By the way, mom, I'm not being mean. The mom's here. Mom can be driving, you know. But you're not ultimately in control, but you're learning. You're growing. And there comes a day and this is ridiculous. There comes a day where you slide out of that seat and you look over and you're like, man, my kid's a good driver. Do we have that with Jesus? Are we growing like that with him? Are we willing to learn and to grow? I don't know where you fall. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I know I fall on this too, guys, so I'm not saying, hey, Bill's up here, God, don't forget out. Man, I want to live in that space with Jesus where I don't hold on too much, but I also don't let go too much. I just trust that he's growing me in this way. I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and then we're going to um, share together this morning. Join me in prayer. Father God, for the work you do in our lives, we give you thanks and praise. And for the way that you've entrusted us to your kingdom, we give you thanks and praise. For the truth that you've given us all gifts and talents in this life. For the fact that you've given us life in itself, we give you thanks and praise. We recognize that you are the author, the beginner of all life. And we are here by your providence, by your choice. And that indeed, as followers of Jesus, we are born by your will, not our own. By your spirit in us. I pray, Father God, today as we've heard the word and we've been so challenged between these ideas of idolatry and idleness, that your spirit would convict each of us where we are failing you the most. I know we are. I know I am. Father God, when we come to you, we want to be changed. For brothers and sisters who are here today that don't yet know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would trust you today fully. And for those of us who have been either like in the driver's seat hoping that you'll come along for the ride or over in the passenger seat hoping you'll drive us there, I pray we're willing to get in there with you and, and learn to drive and learn to go and learn to walk and learn to love and learn to challenge and learn to submit and learn to live. May you be glorified as we seek you in all these things. And Father, today, for your grace and your mercy, your invitation to the kingdom, your Holy Spirit's gift to us, we give you praise and glory for that too. As we genuinely seek you in our life, I pray we'd be forever changed. In Jesus' name. Amen.